0: hi there and welcome to the skylight books author reading series if you'd like to learn more about us and our many upcoming author events please visit skylightbooks.com where you can browse our inventory buy books and join our friends with benefits club you can also follow us on twitter tumblr and facebook to speak to a real live bookseller please call three two three six six zero one one seven five thanks for your support and enjoy
1: hello thank you everybody for coming <coughs> hi everybody <laughs> thanks for coming um i'm just gonna read an excerpt from Cargo dolce um a chapter called goth ryan and then me and Mira are gonna talk about some staff that's right okay yeah, goth ryan my first thought when I met Goth Ryan was that he looked like the corpse of Macaulay Culkin, only skinnier. He was pale and wore a black trench coat and talked about the crow a lot. And though it might seem like a contradiction, he was also blonde, smiley, and outgoing. He had sick, sickly, sunken eye sockets and a high voice that broke when he became excited. Listening to him squeak through a conspiracy theory about the death of Brandon Lee, I realized I was attracted to him. I mean, of course I was attracted to him. I had encountered very few male teenagers that I hadn't entertained perverted thoughts about. I was at that age, I guess, when even corpses made me horny. But there were so many obstacles to our love. For one, he professed his love to me several times very soon after I met him, which I saw as a red flag as well as a sign of questionable taste. (laughs) Secondly, once I saw his ex-girlfriend in Walmart and she screamed at me to stop fucking her boyfriend. And though I was excited by the idea that anyone would assume I was fucking anyone, (laughs) she kind of terrified me. Thirdly, and maybe most important, Goth Ryan was having some kind of secret sex affair with my best friend, Marcy. It was secret because she had a boyfriend. Marcy had picked me to be her new best friend a few months earlier. The prior school year I'd had no friends or friend prospects and figured my sophomore year would be the same. Then one day in gym class, Marcy ditched her, until then best friend, to walk laps around the field with me. We discussed the merits and flaws of Hot Topic, our current favorite bands, mine was Smashing Pumpkins, hers was Dashboard Confessional, how much we missed Napster, and the many idiots we went to school with. She invited me over to her house that night and we dyed our hair pink with Manic Panic. She wasn't like me. She was loud and made offensive jokes and lived comfortably in the assumption that everyone found her charming. I immediately loved her. I abandoned my desire to be alone at all times, to do everything with Marcy. Spending my lunch period in the snack bar next to her, filling cup noodles with hot water as a favorite of the snack bar lady, who was a friend of Marcy's family, I guess. Going to her house after school to make dinner with her grandma, staying up all night to console her about her tumultuous relationship and fight about which stand-up comedians were funnier. Marcy's boyfriend introduced us to Goth Ryan and the four of us hung out almost every weekend and on many school nights. Goth Ryan and Marcy's boyfriend were 18 and had cars so we would drive around blasting System of a Down until we found a quiet park with no tweakers in it to sit and drink. The three of them were almost certainly taking drugs of some kind, but I was never told what drugs and somehow had no curiosity about it. Alcohol, on the other hand, big fan. <laughs> Marcy's boyfriend and goth Ryan always picked us up bearing disgusting bottles of watermelon schnapps or hot dam that I would have never picked out but that I drank greedily, often becoming blackout drunk. Once I was completely debilitated, Goth Ryan would wrap his trench coat around me and melodramatically promised me that everything would be okay and that he would take care of me. <laughs> Can I kiss you, he sometimes said, <laughs> nailing a tone of wilted theatrical romance, his black lips and eyes already betraying the pain of expecting rejection. It was pretty cute. Okay, I would say, trying to summon the strength to lift my head. Depending on variables completely unknown to me, Marcy would either give me a sexy, approving look or a pissed, jealous look. (laughs) And depending on my fluctuating hormones and levels of patience with her, I would either care or not care about whatever look she was giving me. Marcy and I were impressed by the goth subculture Goth Ryan and Marcy's boyfriend took part in. Not just the black strappy clothes, black fingernails, and heavy eye makeup, which we immediately began imitating, but also the directness and openness about feelings of sadness and inner rottenness. I usually felt ashamed of my unhappiness and always cried in the shower where no one could hear me or ask me what I was crying about or tell me to stop. But these people were cutting themselves in places that couldn't easily be hidden, where others would see it and know that it was meant for them to see. There was something so powerful about that. If Marcy and her boyfriend were fighting, we would hang out with other boys. Gabe, the much older Incubus fan. Tyler, the dweeby boy who would sometimes find us between classes and awkwardly give us drawings of various Looney Tunes characters that had clearly been traced from coloring books. (laughs) Or Zach, the raver gamer I was in love with. My crush on Zach was a rebellion against myself. I knew he wasn't cute or cool or funny, didn't have any hobbies I related to, didn't seem sweet or nice, and never said anything interesting. But the lack of substance to my crush only fueled my interest in him. (laughs) Logic doesn't have any role in love, I thought. (laughs) This funny feeling in my heart, which feels both very good and very bad, is the only metric of love I'm concerned with. I sat between... Zack and Tyler in English and they would lean over my desk to make fun of each other. Which, being a sad virgin for whom physical proximity to boys was my only known pleasure, I really enjoyed. <laughs> Where'd you get those pants, Tyler said. A sarcastic jab at Zack's giant swishy parachute pants bungeed at the ankle. Pack's son, Zack said dryly. The pants were clearly not from Pack's <laughs> son. Fuck you dude, Tyler said. The teacher heard this and sent Tyler to sit in the closet, a common punishment from this particular teacher. (laughs) Without Tyler around, my attempt at conversations with Zach seemed stilted. Tyler's so weird, I said. I hate that guy, Zach said. I loved how angry and sarcastic Zach was. I loved that he hated things so openly. I wanted to hate things too, instead of feeling the detached resentment I felt about most things. I wanted to feel passionate about something. I wanted to hate Tyler, if only to have something in common with Zach. But Tyler was a necessary lubricant in my conversations with Zach, and I liked him for that reason. Also, he was funny and easy to talk to, and had a cute center part, and smelled a little like warm bread. I hate him too, I said. I had touched Zach's penis once on a road near a river. We were both very drunk, and he asked me to touch it, so I did. I had cupped and headed the flaccid thing for close to a minute, unsure of what was supposed to happen. My wrist was getting tired from being pressed against his stomach underneath the still buckled silver studded belt that held up his gigantic denim parachute pants (laughs) as we stood in the middle of a mostly unused dirt road a few yards away from our friends. Should I squeeze it, I thought? Should I milk it? (laughs) What should I do, I said. Never mind. he said, you're drunk. It was a relief to let go. (laughs) One night at Marcy's house, Marcy tricked me into eating a significant portion of pot brownie by telling me that it was a regular brownie that she had made herself, and that it would hurt her feelings if I didn't at least taste it. After I ate it, she disappeared into another room to argue with her boyfriend on the phone. I wrapped myself up in a blanket and breathed deeply in and out, convinced I was experiencing a panic attack. Gothraya knocked on Marcy's door, and when I answered it, he asked me to go outside. He wanted to talk about his feelings. <laughs> Is this happening, I said. Are you here? <laughs> I like you so much, he said, initiating a hug. I used to think about hurting myself all the time. <laughs> but now whenever I start thinking about that, I think about you instead. I feel so much better lately. You are a wonder. I've never met anyone like you. I started imagining that he was talking to me about raspberries. (laughs) I imagined that he was trying to offload raspberries onto me because the raspberries weren't very good and he had to get rid of them. He had so many raspberries that he would have to devote the rest of his life to getting rid of them. I imagined Goth Ryan becoming the CEO of a raspberry offloading company that marketed the raspberries to people by using slogans like, I like these raspberries so fucking much. and the way I feel about these raspberries is so much better than the way I normally feel about raspberries, <laughs> and by these goddamn raspberries are I'll fucking kill myself. <laughs> it was endearing to me that he thought he could sell raspberries using emotional manipulation. <laughs> that kind of naivete was sweet in a way. In retrospect, I see that I was super, stu- super, super stoned. <laughs> I'm going to try to get a job, he said. I want to take care of you. <laughs> I nodded and rubbed my increasingly dry and puffy eyes, simultaneously acutely aware of, frustrated with, and incapacitated by my role in the universe. Something was weird about this. Ryan seemed to be saying he was in love with me, but I knew he was sleeping with my best friend and seemed not to notice that I didn't love him back, even though I kind of did. So what was the problem? I couldn't remember what I was trying to think about. What was the question? I need to go inside and ask Marcy something about fruit, I managed to say. Okay, I'm going to take off then, he said. He kissed me on my temple and held my hand as I moved away from him, and we maintained intense eye contact as I went inside and closed the door. Wow, Ryan is here, Marcy said. Where the fuck did he go? Um, I said, I feel really weird right now. You should just go out with him already. He's totally in love with you. He didn't even come in to say hi to me. I think I might be having a seizure. (laughs) Oh, you poor thing, she said with a big smile. You ate too much pot brownie. Here, lie down, sweetie. God damn it, Marcy. Everybody has to grow up sometimes, she said, still smiling. God, I fucking hate you. (laughs) Marcy and I quickly became inseparable frenemies. I didn't trust her with any kind of secret. emotional support seemed to go one way from me to her, but we were both weird and encouraged each other's weird behavior, and I enjoyed the fact that we didn't completely like each other. I didn't expect much from her, so she couldn't really disappoint me, and I didn't have to worry about hiding the unappealing parts of myself from her. More importantly, Marcy was my social crutch and I was her scapegoat. She made all the plans, got boys to hang out with us, and found us rides everywhere. And I would take the fall if anything happened so she wouldn't look bad in front of her grandma or boyfriend or people she had crushes on or whoever else she happened to be worried about impressing at any given time. She would say, sorry we were out so late, Grandma. Chelsea wanted to make out with Ryan all night. And her grandma would tell me that if I wanted to keep sleeping over, I would have to start going to church with them. Later, Marcy would tell me, don't worry, I'll make it up to you and invite Zach over to drink Jägermeister and watch TV with us. I was being mobilized and crippled simultaneously, but I was fine with this setup. Um, I think I'll stop there. Thank
0: you. So, thanks for reading. You're um, welcome. So I have some questions for my friend Chelsea here about her wonderful book. Um, <clears throat> so, and then after that, we'll take some questions from you guys if you have any. Um, So my first question is, I I feel like you and I get along because, or at least partially because we both have a pretty dark sense of humor. Um, (laughs) I feel like that's, uh, for me, that happened because, or partially because I was sort of trying to reframe past events. I sort of figured out that if I was able to have a dark sense of humor about something like a difficult childhood, then you can sort of maintain control over those events and sort of you know, go back and feel like you yeah. know, things are okay. Yeah, I think and, that's true. Yeah, and I, I wonder if you feel like there is a point in your life that you can point out where there is a specific shift from a normal sense of humor to a dark sense of humor, like realizing that you had these experiences that could be turned into humor or if you just have always had a dark sense of humor since you were a little baby. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That'd be so cute. <laughs>
0: Um, goth baby yeah
1: I don't know if I can pinpoint I think like being a loner in high school was probably pretty pivotal because I was just so ashamed of myself and had to turn that around (laughs) somehow in my head yeah um
0: the humor was sort of a way to like feel a little bit better about being a loner
1: or just to enjoy it or find something good about it yeah Definitely. I don't know. What was it for you? I
0: mean, I I think it was the same. You know, I think like I got to high school and sort of realized that. I mean honestly I think in high school I was just regular emotional and maybe hadn't gotten to the humor part yet Mm -hmm. and then I left high school and was sort of like oh like it's so insane how many bad things have happened already like there's either you cry or you laugh right and you sort of realize that that's where the currency is is in the ability to like make people laugh from difficult situations which is something that I found in this book like over and over again and that's like part of the reason I liked it so much at least
1: Um, it's cool to make people cry too though
0: also true. <laughs> Love making people cry. Um, so good. So another another thing I wanted to talk about was um, in the book, you do talk a lot about female friendships and the difficulties that happen with female friendships growing up. I found it very relatable. I think that You know, in adolescence, girls have these really nuanced, like horrifying relationships that lead to like catastrophic emotional blow ups in like (laughs) a way that doesn't happen to me with adult female friendships. It's something that, you know, it's an emotional texture that really only occurs when you're sort of in puberty and having all of these feelings and then sort of like not able to have an outlet for them and for me a result of that was that when I was like later in my teen years I sort of started befriending boys because they were a bit easier and I didn't feel so afraid of them in terms of like their ability to make me cry. Um, Women are so complicated yeah
1: like I think that's and when you're a teenager when you're a female teenager I feel like everything is just like a mess totally you are figuring out your hormones and figuring out your role in society and like right. within this high school hierarchy so and girls are just so intellectual I yeah. feel like. I was gonna say and boys are just kind of simple yeah
0: women at least like they use their their words in a way that men don't you know like a woman in at least in high school and in middle school to me it was like girls you know, were able to bully me really effectively. Yeah. They were able to make me feel like really you just bad. Say the exact right thing to like
1: bring someone to tears. Right.
0: And I guess like my experience of you has been like for those who don't, Chelsea and I have been like a lot of book tours together that we're all women. And like my experience of you has been very much based in female friendship. And it seems that you now have a lot of female friends. And I wonder if they're if you had an experience like mine where maybe you befriended teenage boys and realized that they were like just as bad if not worse or if just growing up sort of led you to have a different value in your female friendships in life than in high school
1: I think my my opinion on it is that teenage girls are terrible and they just grow out of it yeah and once they do they're amazing, and for, I mean, for them sometimes, but... <laughs> right, because they still have all of
0: that intellect that led them to be able to be so effectively yeah. hurtful yeah. that they know to not be hurtful.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so you just get... You end up with smart women who are like in touch with their feelings and that's awesome yeah
0: and even I feel like now as an adult like if I see a woman who's like not smiling to make a situation more comfortable or somebody who's like maybe even like a little bit tougher rude I'm like yeah I like her like she's my friend like that's like the kind of girl that I'm friends with now versus when I was young that's the kind of girl who I'd be like oh fuck like she's gonna make me cry like in front of everybody and I can tell yeah and she would have exactly (laughs) (laughs) Um, she
1: had it figured out
0: yeah fully uh so another aspect of your book that uh, at least for me was really relatable um was just talking about your uh relationship with your young mom. Um so according to your book, your mom had you when she was 17. Uh my mom also had me when she was 17. Um she had turned 18. So. Okay. Well, but yeah. Sorry. <laughs> just <laughs> just FYI. <laughs> she was a legal adult. Um And so throughout the book, like I've noticed that her youth is sort of reflected in your relationship with her. Like she is a mother first and foremost, but she's also a friend because in a way, you know, you guys kind of grew up together and that's at least what I felt with my mom too. Um, And there's a quote that I wanted to read from your essay on vandalism that really reminded me of my mom and will lead into my next question. Um, So this essay that Chelsea wrote is, if you haven't read the book, about her experience with being obsessed with toilet papering houses, um, it, it, there's a whole. It's, it's very funny. But uh, this one, this one quote. It's she said, "It was my mom who had first mentioned toilet papering." You guys have never toilet papered a house, she had said. Ever? How weird. That first night, my friends and I left through the sliding glass door in my bedroom. My mom whispering behind us, "Don't get caught. I'll leave the light on for you guys." <laughs> and so that that quote specifically. Um, to me, really shows an aspect of motherhood that I guess tends to maybe diminish with age for better or for worse, which is sort of the willingness you know, to allow your kids or even enable them to sort of get into childhood mischief uh, because you remember what an essential part of a happy childhood that is because you're still a young mother so you can easily look back to your adolescence and say, well, I had really a fun time toilet papering houses as a child. Why wouldn't I want my child to have that experience? Um, And I'm just wondering if that had an effect on who you are today or what effect do you think that had on
1: who you are today, your relationship with your mom? Well, I think part of it is also that my mom was young enough to remember like how important it felt to be cool and she really wanted me to be cool yeah (laughs) and so I think one effect was that I really felt uncool That like my mom had to tell me (laughs) how to be cool yeah (laughs) um yeah I think I've definitely brought that into adulthood um but like as far as like um I forget what you said.
0: Oh, just, I i was just more, like, wanting to know, I guess, about, like, I, I feel like having a young mom sort of led me to understand natural consequences in my life in a way that I wouldn't have otherwise, and I sort of felt like... um You know, she would let me get into trouble and then I would understand how to not get into trouble many years later, you know? Like, obviously, like, I got into a lot of trouble before that. But do you feel like that was a benefit to you or do you feel like it was more of a hindrance? Because I go back and forth. I feel like sometimes, like, having a young mom is great and being her friend is great and it's, like, a, a super specific and unique relationship that I love. And also, I've had yeah. to go through years of therapy. Yeah. So, like,
1: <laughs> you know. Uh, yeah, I think there's less guidance, maybe. Right. And you just, yeah, are encouraged to, like, figure it out. And so, yeah, there's definitely like, pros and cons, I, I would say. For um, sure. Do you think it helped you, like, pursue a career in the arts to sort of have
0: that in your upbringing? Yeah, I mean, maybe a
1: more mature mother would have discouraged
0: it. <laughs> Um, so, follow-up question. If I really wanted to toilet paper someone's house right now, like if I, say, had an ex who was, like, really mean to me or something, would you toilet paper a house with me?
1: Absolutely. Hell yeah. Absolutely. All right, good. Just, we, we're going to do it.
0: Yeah. Um, follow-up, follow-up question. <laughs> uh, <laughs> have you ever done vandalism that was more harmful than toilet papering a house? For example, I... Uh, have a friend who keyed someone's car. It, it really wasn't me. It was a friend. <laughs> and I'm wondering if you ever had like more intense experiences with vandalism. Uh,
1: not really. I like, did a little bit of spray painting, but not really. Hmm. Um, That's innocent enough. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, let's see.
0: So when people ask me what I do, uh, I usually say I'm a writer, even though I actually draw and paint just as often as I write. And mm-hmm. I feel like you're one of the only other people I know who has that similar issue and I wonder if you ever struggle with labeling yourself as an artist like do you ever when someone asks you what do you do do you ever not quite know how to respond
1: yeah I mean I don't even know what they're asking when they say that (laughs) like I don't know what do I do yeah I don't know what do you say normally I'm unemployed (laughs) 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 <laughs> and if they
0: <laughs> that's what I'm gonna do from now on I'm, like, I'm unemployed I don't do shit like nothing
1: <laughs> just hang the fuck out yeah it is really awkward I don't really like label labels in general it seems like if you even to say I'm a writer it feels like someone should be paying you a paycheck right yeah that's and that's not it's like yeah it
0: doesn't really work like that yeah yeah, yeah I I feel like there definitely is this sort of pressure to label yourself under one category of art because if you try to say like well I'm an illustrator and a writer then people sort of assume that one or the other is like less important or you're less yeah. good at one or the other and yeah. it's sort of both sound shitty too to yeah. just say just to be real it sounds bad yeah it sounds I'm a like writer, you do nothing that's or like I'm an
1: artist <laughs> <laughs> it sounds not good <laughs> yeah it I sounds really- like you don't know what you're doing
0: <laughs> um Yeah, I mean, and we don't know what we're doing. So (laughs) Um, so I wanted to read a quote from what I think was my favorite essay in the book. Um, This is an essay about, well, you'll see. I stopped using spoons one day. I was becoming weird, I knew, and it didn't seem like the good kind of weird, like the eccentric arty weird that could be appreciated by other people. It seemed like the bad, dark kind that could unravel a person if it got out of hand. <laughs> so I didn't
1: use spoons.
0: Yeah, so I uh, have another quote here. Um, basically, what she did was she was going through a time in her life, and correct me if I'm wrong, where there was a lot of like bullying and out-of-control things happening, and so what she decided to do was to stop using spoons altogether. <laughs> um, and, uh, Obviously. <laughs> and so... <laughs> And so, uh, you know, like a normal person does. And then, so the essay goes along and she talks about feeling generally alienated um, and it culminates with a very cruel boy asking you to prom as a joke. (laughs) Um, And then after that, you talk about coping with that by denying yourself more types of silverware. Um, so she goes on and she says, let's kick this spoon thing up a notch, my inner monologue said. <laughs> I had gone without spoons for eight months and I barely gave it a thought anymore. It didn't feel like a restriction anymore. I needed to make it more laborious again. Um, <laughs> And so this this instinct to sort of needlessly control aspects of your life that have nothing to do with the reason why you feel out of control, um, again, is something that I really relate to and that I've done before. But I have never ever heard of a person like not using a kind of silverware. Like I feel <laughs> like normally it's like you 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 know monitor your food intake or you keep your house insanely clean, you know, or something like that. And I wonder if there's, what other things have you done from that same urge to sort of control other aspects of your life Mm -hmm. when you feel more out of control that, like, it just seems like where did that instinct come from and what else has it manifested in?
1: This seems really
0: heavy. (laughs) I mean, feel free to not answer it if you want. It was kind of an excuse just to read the Spoon essay, which I really love.
1: (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I don't know. Um...
0: Well, we can move on to another really heavy question if you want. Okay. the next one? I will say
1: that s- since I wrote this essay, someone has told me they also didn't use spoons for a time. Really? Was, wow. I was impressed by it. <laughs> it makes me feel like maybe I should try not
0: using spoons. Like maybe next time it's I want to. It's really easy. Damn. See, but I, I do eat like a lot of like cereal and oatmeal. Oh, which yeah. You're covered <laughs> with a fork. It's fine. <laughs> um, okay, so then I I have... For my last questions, uh, well, okay, so I have three more questions left. My first question is, if you could say anything to yourself at age 13, what would it be?
1: I would say, I love you, you sweet girl. (laughs) (laughs) I really would.
0: That's beautiful. That's very sweet. Um, (laughs) So, okay, one of the essays in the book, um, you talk about getting a colonic, and... So, (laughs) yeah. So, I wanted to uh, read a quote about your experience getting this colonic, which was not good. Um, I tried to keep breathing, but I was too sweaty and nauseous, and I was becoming disoriented. The machine wasn't working. The water wasn't leaving my body the way it was supposed to. I was afraid I was going to pass out. She pulled the tube out of my anus, and I ran to the toilet on the other side of the room, watery poo dripping down my legs. I released into toilet, and... (laughs) And started silently weeping while thinking, I don't understand, I don't understand, over and over in reference to what felt like every single fucking thing in the universe. Now, I seem to remember being on tour with you and driving in a van, and you telling me that you actually got another colonic after that. Yeah, I did. Why? Can you can you talk about that a little
1: bit? Well, I was... Someone convinced me that it was just like the... um like a one-time bad thing that happened and that it would be fine if I just tried again. And was it? And it was the same. It was the same experience. <laughs> <laughs> like like the whole like watery I pool. I like myself whole, again. Oh my god. Yeah.
0: <laughs> no, and that was the last time you got a colonic, right? <laughs> yeah are you are you sure yeah okay good <laughs> I I'm shocked that you went back I would not what why did you go back like just I was manipulated just because your pe- people you knew were like telling you that it was gonna be okay this time <laughs> god I'm so sorry I'll never make you do that <laughs> It was terrible yeah. um okay and my last question before we take questions if you guys have any um was do you feel like art school was worth it and would you recommend that other people go to art school
1: um, no. <laughs> if you have the money to go to art school, yeah, definitely go. If you don't, then maybe um it's not right for you. Yeah, not with I it. I don't regret going because it got me out of a shitty town and I'm not sure if it w- if I would have left if I didn't go to college. So yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe. You know, maybe if you're Everyone in a shitty town, go. you need to go out or something. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, it's just too complicated because I'm yeah. also like fucked forever yeah. financially. Yeah. So. Yeah, the debt is not good, huh? Yeah. So maybe go to art not school. Good. <laughs> think about it real hard. Yeah, just think or about it. Or not at all. Lot. <laughs> <laughs>
0: all right. Now, if anyone has any questions in the audience, I think we'll take those. Mm? Um. So, I want to know. Which town you grew up in and where you went to school? And because you're of a different generation than I am, and I really think it's really bad this thing because we didn't have to deal with it. I went to Columbia University in New York, and it was like maybe five thousand a semester. Oh wow! And oh my God! So I think what's happening to you guys is like criminal. Can you give me some idea of the day Hmm.
1: Uh. I have about. Like sixty thousand in debt currently, um, and I'm pretty lucky because I got scholarships and stuff. Yeah. Where you go to school, and where did you go? Um, I grew up in Clear Lake, California, which is a couple hours north of the Bay, and I went to college at California College of the Arts. Yeah. You're really warm, vulnerable, beautiful voice. Really. Thank you. <laughs> it's, I
0: think people can be funny, but to get that other part right, it's really hard. like you're really do well if, if pay that debt <laughs> Yeah,
1: if anyone's out there. <laughs> if <laughs> anyone wants
0: to pay Chelsea's debt, please come to the front. <laughs> <laughs> uh, any other questions?
1: No. No one has right. anything. Would you consider getting a colonic again? Like if you a friend get the support
0: buyer? He, he wants you to get a third colonic. That's what this guy wants. <laughs> Even this after is all my that. friend
1: Julian. and he loves poop. Your friend.
0: <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> Not even for you. Oh, okay. Were you the one who convinced her to get the second colonic? No, Be honest. <laughs> but,
1: uh, I'll go with
0: you. It sounds like you want to go. <laughs> don't get peer pressure, Chelsea. Don't let him do it. <laughs> You're stronger than this. Let me think about it. <laughs> um, any other questions? Sure. Um, so internet malaise has been d- used to describe you, so how would you how would you look at that?: that's
1: not I don't know much. what that means. <laughs> I don't uh, sorry, what would you say internet yeah, like, uh, malaise? Internet. just like being um
0: like like sad online? I'm not online that much. yeah, you're you're like way less online than a lot of people I know I actually. Know. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, we have another question oh, over. Sure, here.
1: Um, so, since this is your biography, um, or
0: autobiography, um, and you wrote a lot of like hard experiences, I'm sure, and was it hard for you to write everything, or was it a relief to put down um, a paper? And I don't know,
1: was yeah. it a way for you to? yeah it was hard and it was also a relief it, it, I feel like I've really like let a lot of these experiences go now that they're on paper and, and they're stories I think I have like a lot more distance than I had before so that's been really good um, and and especially for these stories which are kind of like I feel like ones that were really nagging at me and I needed to do something with them so yeah it's been great to do it Once you've been branded as funny,
0: like quite a bit, do you feel especially to kind of like keep being funny all the time in your texts online? Like wherever it is? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I feel like we've both talked about like reading and how it's like doing live readings. You get, you know, when people laugh, you're like, oh, they like it. But then if it's something not funny that you're reading, it's hard to tell if the audience is liking it or just not
1: yeah. paying attention anymore. <laughs> yeah. Being in front of people is definitely like hard experience and you and you want to <laughs> feel um accepted so a good way to do that is to try to be funny and like so there's like, it's like a concrete hear, response you can to, hear like, what people appreciating yeah. right <laughs> like if you I have read serious things. I think you've read yeah. serious, like, quiet things. Yeah. And, it's, and it's just dead silence. Because yeah. like, people, like, you can't... What are you supposed like to That's do? how it's supposed
0: to be, kind of. Yeah. But at the Not same like, time...
1: Mm, mm. Yeah,
0: when you're on stage, it feels like you're, you're talking at a wall, you know? Yeah, it's... Uh, it's so hard. They're not going to, like, c- cry loudly or anything like that. Like, you're never going to get that emotional
1: response. <laughs> but I think it's also just our personalities. Like, I right. think we're, we've, we both try to be funny in social situations. Usually. Yeah. Like, yeah, I think so. A little bit clown-like. <laughs> yeah, we're
0: clowns. <laughs> we're, like, court jesters, basically. Um, I think we'll do, like, one more question. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um. On tour together when the tampons went missing. Mm-hmm. I don't know why, but that just kind of stuck with me. The most hilarious online feud. <laughs> I mean, that was. Maybe one of the funniest experiences of my whole life, to be honest. <laughs> um,
1: the most mysterious for me. It, we
0: were in Miami on vacation and uh, we both had our period and so we bought a big box of tampons that was in the bathroom. I bought the big she box She bought them tampons. with her money and then they I were claimed mine. them as my own because I was in her hotel room <laughs> and I was they also They went pleading. missing out of our hotel room. You're we just gone. And Chelsea spoke for like a really long time to the front desk being like, where the fuck are my tampons and then they kept hanging up on her and she kept calling back and saying hi it's me tampon girl again <laughs> it, eventually they brought me
1: three <laughs> shitty tampons but they were like, huge like no they got you th- oh at yeah, first yeah. they brought me three <laughs> shitty tampons like the really bad ones like not even tampacks.
0: you know like the like not name brand ones mm-hmm.
1: and then i just i had to pounding them and they finally bought me more tampons but they
0: bought you like a box of like xxxl tampons yeah. like they bought the biggest possible tampons they could buy i think just was, like to yeah. bother her Be like okay lady okay tampon girl <laughs> meanwhile everyone in the hotel was accusing each other of having stolen the tampons yeah. chelsea was like mira was it you and i was like no i bet chloe did it like it was for sure her it was like <laughs> Still haven't figured it out. I still have no idea. Tampons are gone. Right, well, I think Chelsea's going to be signing books. If you guys are interested in that, here's books are here too. Yeah, mine are here too. It's about Chelsea tonight, though. <laughs> <laughs> you can uh, you can buy both of our books up front. And, uh, <laughs> thanks for coming. Thank you. Goodbye. You've been listening to the Skylight Books Author Reading Series. Don't forget, you can listen to this and all our other great podcasts at skylightbooks.com. Thanks again for stopping by, and we hope to see you soon.